This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, February 6th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Your head coach now may not be your head coach tomorrow, and that's why we are live, so we don't have to worry about any of that pesky breaking news after we record. We are jam-packed. We are high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I promise you we are going to get you the very latest with Brian Harson, the very latest out of Auburn. We're going to talk about Michigan. We're going to talk about where things go from here. Is it a rebuild? Is it not a rebuild? There's a whole lot going on. There are big moves being made in Miami. More on that momentarily. A rare special guest joining us. All that plus, I'm going to give you a little inside baseball. A little behind the scenes. A lot of you have asked about those Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher interviews we did on National Signing Day last week. Uh, you know what? I am going to acquiesce to those requests. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit towards the end of the show. Make sure you are following on the social channels at Late Kick Josh. Twitter, Instagram, and everything in between. Look, you know this is not a guest-fueled show, but every now and then we have someone reach out that's just too good to turn down. And there was a young man, a young man, a promising up-and-comer, dare I say, by the name of Mario Cristobal, who reached out earlier today. They've made some big moves, of course, the brand-new head coach at Miami. And so what I wanted to do to start the show, actually, is I wanted to bring MCN, and I wanted to, instead of me telling you what I think about some of the moves they're making, I wanted him to be able to tell you himself. So. Without further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring Mario Cristobal in to start the show here. He is uh, down in Miami. How, how many hours have you worked today, by the way? What time did you wake up this morning? <laughs> well, I lost count the day uh, I got down here. We've been going ever since. Uh, kind of like Groundhog Day. You start up early and they just kind of keep going and going and going. And from what I understand, tomorrow is Monday, which is <laughs> the first day of school for my kids. So I need to be ready for that. So... There's a lot going on. Now, for those of you watching, just because something's put out on the internet doesn't mean immediately everyone can talk about it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a softball in my hand, and I'm going to toss it in such a way that you can hit it wherever you want to. Uh, Mario Cristobal, head coach of Miami, there is a lot of headlines out there that say a lot of big things are happening with your staff. And so can you tell us just very, very quickly what the hiring process has been like where are things right now, and what's the next week or so going to look like with Miami football? Well, we're swinging big. You know, we're, we're going, uh, you know, so to speak, big game fishing. We feel that uh, the players here deserve the best Power 5 developmental experience possible. And, uh, you know, we're very meticulous. We're very calculated with our moves. And we feel we have locked it on the right ones. I'm sure you saw a lot of news surrounding the guys, uh, a lot of buzz surrounding some real impressive guys that uh, – have achieved the highest honor as assistant coaches and coordinators, and, and they're headed down to South Beach. Uh, actually, they're headed down to Miami. We're, we're kind of far from South Beach, but you know what I'm saying. Um, these guys are phenomenal human beings, exceptional, exceptional coaches and mentors, and they are uh, they're elite. They're elite, and we're certainly glad to have them, and there will be a lot of news around this stuff in the next couple of days, but uh, we're not done. It's a great, great start. We're super excited to have them, but, uh, again, we're just getting started. Is this fun to you? Like, do you like coaching the game more? Or, like, I used to love the game called SimCity. It was old school, but it's where you get to build everything. I love building things. Is this the part that excites you? Or do you get more excited once you got everything in place and you're ready to go? Oh, I love this. You know, I truly believe that when you are hiring coordinators and coaches, it's still a partnership. It's still, so to speak, a marriage, right? You, you want to make sure that they complement each other because you're going to have to practice against each other. And if you can't get the right type of technical, fundamental, and schematic work, and you're not going to have the kind of product you want on the field. So that's really, really important. Philosophically, uh, everything from principles and values, philosophies have to be unified and galvanized. You've got to be surrounded by great, great people that love the work, that are all about the student-athletes. And with that kind of, if you have that kind of passion and you have that drive and work ethic and you're ambitious, 
if you're a part of this organization, you're going to go far. You're going to do well. And we're loading up on those kind of guys. These guys are legitimate difference makers. I can't wait to get going with them. So um, I don't know how much time you spend on the internet, but I peruse it a fair amount. And the internet has told me that you want to run a run-first offense down in Miami. That's why you're making the hires you're making. That's the direction you want to go. So explain it to us like we are five years old. What does the offense in an ideal world look like under Mario Cristobal at Miami? Yeah, I wouldn't listen to the internet much as it relates to anything regarding football, myself, or anybody. If I, from what I understand, if if I would have read the internet over the past month and a half, we, we hired 44 different coordinator so i uh <laughs> i tend to uh, stick to what we know and how we do things but no we're a, we're a balanced attack you know uh coach blank that is going to be joining us we really morphed into an unbelievable system while we were at another place um you know not together but in different parts of time uh some that really came about through a little bit of trial and error but a lot of research and a lot of time invested in places that ran really explosive mixed tempo so the ability to go both really really fast to slow it down when you have to but a, a true power spread offense where you can get downhill in the running game and outside but create explosive pass plays and um, you know you know the history of how we we morphed over at alabama we were over there um and that has always been the vision you know taking those steps to become a really explosive and efficient offense that plays with power, that plays with physicality, but takes advantage of all the explosive players down here in South Florida. And with a great quarterback, we plan to be balanced. In an ideal world, we'd like to be right down the middle 50-50. But whatever percentage gets us that W, that's what's going to be at a premium. You spent a fair amount of time at Oregon. You finally got your teeth wet as a head coach. And I'm really interested, this day and age, even when it's a guy's first time as a head coach, you get one or two years under your belt, and everyone just thinks the book's written on you. You are established and nothing's ever gonna change about you. Of course, you and I know in reality, you're always learning, you're always evolving. So now you've come to Miami. Here's what just fascinates me about guys when they, when they change spots. What changes with them, I guess, is what I wanna ask you. In other words, when you look back on your time so far as a head coach, which lessons have you learned? And if, is there anything, like are there critical factors that you look to adjust in your own approach, philosophically, in your own approach with how you uh, deal with players moving forward that may put a different stamp on you at Miami than maybe we saw at Oregon? Yeah, I think one thing that continues to stand really strong and and stands the test of time is the investment in player development and player relationships. It's always going to be about that. That's what I felt as a player when I was at the University of Miami a long time ago. I felt that we did that from way back when at FIU and winning its first conference championship to going to Alabama and that experience and and winning a national championship and a conference championship and then taking a blueprint, but taking our own version of that blueprint and going to Oregon and, and winning two conference championships and a Rose Bowl, multiple top 10 picks um, and leaving behind the best classes in school history. There's It's like you take all the things that you feel work really well you invest in them, but while you're investing in people. We're really big on making sure that we're not just collecting talent, we're investing in people. And by that, I mean the players, your staff, whatever whatever method or whatever uh, facet of personnel that's entering your organization, your building, make sure that you're just throwing everything you have into them to make sure that they're developing because they're having some type of impact on somebody. It's got to be a positive one. It's got to be productive. It's got to be significant. One time you and I spoke, it was right at the outset of COVID. People had a little more time on their hands and you gave us a full hour, which I was very appreciative of. During that hour, you talked a little bit about your time at Alabama and you, you pointed to a notebook in the background or at least several binders. And you said, you see those, those, those are the lessons I learned at Alabama. I took notes every day. And look, that's an entire show. I mean, you and I could talk for hours and hours about that, but I'm really curious, like how specifically does that apply to the way you go about things today? What do you know because of your time there that maybe was totally foreign to you before you darkened the doors of Alabama? I mean, there's always some type of carryover, but there's variations of situations and circumstances, and, and you can't get enough practice at that. And it's no different than players practicing 
you know, red zone offense, third down defense. You know, you've got to see those things again and again and again and practice them so when they do arise, when they do surface, that you have a plan for them. I mean, our responsibility is, is massive. I mean, we are responsible for, for the sons of these families that have invested in the world and their children. And things, when you're growing up, we can't kid ourselves and think that, hey, we ourselves didn't, so to speak, uh, man, if I could say on the air, step and poop every now and then, right? Uh, and that we need guidance and that we need development, that we need discipline, um, that we need structure. We need to be challenged. I mean, all those things are succinct. So you want your very own home for your very own children, right? You want to make sure those principles and values are carried over and that uh, at the same time that you use the resources available to make sure you're investing the world in these guys. Because this, this last pit stop before life, aside from the NFL, this last pit stop is going to determine a lot. And we take a lot of pride in making sure we get them ready for the big picture. So I was down there. I Yes, down there. I get it, by the way, now. I spent the entire week in South Florida last week. Um, we did our National Signing Day show from Fort Lauderdale. And I remember being down there when we did Early Signing Day in December. And that U logo was nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking over at Wilt Fong. I'm looking over at Steve Ivins, and they're saying, hey, or Andrew Ivins, and they're saying, uh, we need to talk Miami. We need to talk Miami. And all of a sudden, there you guys are. You've been there like five minutes, and there you guys are. You finished with the highest-rated class in the state of Florida, blows my mind. And there were a couple of really big additions late there. You can get into it if you want to. But I just, in general, I want to ask you, when I say the word recruiting, what does it mean to you? Investment in people, same thing. I mean, it's, it's just never changed. You know, I think sometimes people ask, hey, how come you guys are having success recruiting? It's like, because we're ourselves. Because we believe in what we do. We believe in people and this for us. Brother, this for us is always going to be a vocation. It's never going to be a job. And it just so happens that this time, this thing that I'm wearing on my shirt, well, I had it slapped on the side of my helmet when I played um, and have a couple of zippers on my body due to wearing this uniform, you know, wearing this logo on label and playing with some brothers with some difference-making, game-changing moments in my life. So uh, recruiting is, is showing and telling the world and the people that you're targeting exactly what's inside you, what's in your heart about a certain place. So, man, it's it comes as natural as as anything else that that you do. And um, just again, man, when it's uh, it's an honor, it's an honor. So I don't know if that's if that answers the question, but hopefully it gives you a little bit of an idea about how how I view it. I am looking right now at new head coaches, some of whom have never been coaches before, and I'm looking at guys like you who have now had a few years under your belt. You and I were actually talking earlier today about this. Can you please try and explain how different it is, just the job of being a head coach now, as opposed to even when you started? And certainly for guys who have been in the profession quite a while, there's this, I think there's this misnomer out there that what you do all day is sit there in a dark room and you break down film, you're up on a grease board and you're just thinking football, football, football. And that is a small fraction of the job of a head coach. And if I add NIL and I add all that that entails on top of your plate now, there are only 24 hours in a day. Like how, how do you go about tackling this challenge? Yeah, you just, you know, you, you got to be willing to compromise a little bit of sleep now. You know, it is, it, it, you just don't stop because you look at all the different, of a program to make it go in a, in a certain direction. They all have to be aligned. And what I mean by that is, like your culture and your philosophy that you have within the football program, well, it has to be reflected in with the academic you know, portion of your institution, as well as your academic center and your service people within the building. And that has to be reflected downstairs in the equipment room and what the locker room looks like at the end of each day, right? And it has to be reflected in the way the nutritionists handle their portion their task and how we're feeding guys, how we're educating guys, how they're preparing and helping them understand what to eat, when to eat, how to do it. And that has to be reflected in the weight room and how we attack every single rep because how you do anything is how you do everything. That's as simple as it gets, right? Early's on time, how you do anything is how you do everything. And then that has to be reflected in the way we handle ourselves in the community. And it just goes on and on and on. So there's a lot of people in the organization that they are the supervisor of that particular you know, part of our program. But to make sure that we are all on the same page, that, that requires every ounce of energy and every second of time that you have 
to make sure it does look a certain way, especially when you're just getting things going. So it is, it's a 24 seven job and it should be. And anyone that complains about that, they just, they shouldn't be in it, man. You gotta love this stuff. Miami head coach Mario Cristobal, a couple more minutes with us here. I, um, the interview process fascinates me and you get to do it a lot now. You're right in the process of doing it. So you're filling out a staff and this is a curtain that we never get taken behind. So I would ask you as much as you can, Take us into your office, whether it be Zoom or whether it be in person, when you are interviewing someone to potentially be on your staff, how thorough is that conversation? How in-depth and in the weeds does that have to get? Well, I learned the process a long time ago when I went up uh, and had an opportunity to uh, interview with the New York Jets and our coach Mangini, who I worked for Coach Belichick. And it was not, I had never been put through anything like that. And the process we do now are identical to what that was back then where, you know, you get there and of course you meet everybody. And after you do immediately, you are, you are right up on the board and you are asked to explain exactly what you do and how you do it in, my, in your own terms, because you have to give someone the ability to whatever they're comfortable with and what they do. All right. Talk to us. Talk to us like we're freshmen in that room for the first time and hearing it for the first time. And then after that, the questions come. And the questions are really thorough. Let me hit this button here because this keeps, I'm bad with technology, which you guys already know. But after those questions come, um, then all of a sudden the film comes on and then they start asking questions on what you've coached. Well, coach, you've said that you were taking uh, this particular angle on this step and that your hat position was going to be the place out armpit, but your hat's on the backside number and your hand's nowhere near the sternum. I thought you were telling us this is the way you're coaching it. And, You've got to untangle that and talk about, well, you know, maybe I didn't coach it well enough, but this is what we're trying to do. So assessing your film, then assessing their film. And as they talk about it, then they ask you to assess, and then they ask you to, okay, now how are you going to coach it? You're going to jump into a film evaluation session, and you're going to go into detail about how you're going to write up and assess this particular player with all the critical factors that pertain to that particular position, you know, balance, body control, strength, power heavy-handed, light foot, guy that can anchor, slide his feet, hips, all that stuff. Um, after that, you're going to be asked to stand up and demonstrate technique. After that, you're going to be asked to stand up and present in front of the room day one of an install at your position. Um, you might get lunch if you're lucky. You're in a full sweat by then. Okay. <laughs> and you start back up with individual meetings with each particular person, talking about recruiting philosophy, your experience at each part of uh, the country, wherever you've recruited how you handle a daily schedule, how you handle a spring schedule, how you set up for the year. Is it by position? Is it by area? I mean, I'll stop because I can, I'll wear you out if I keep going. But um, that's about two and a half, three hours. And it, it goes for a while. It goes, you know, anywhere from six, seven, eight hours sometimes, uh, depending how it goes. You know, sometimes guys, they kind of, they say what they say and then they're done and it ends quickly. And sometimes they're so, it's so engaging and you learn a lot as you listen to guys interview that you just keep going and you learn a bunch from them. And, and all of a sudden you, you end up having a great partnership. Go from there. Well, that's what I want to ask. So one more follow-up here. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm fascinated by this. I could talk for nine hours about this. So how often do you get in an interview setting and you're very, very quickly into that thing and you realize, no, it's not going to work. Like how, how often does that happen where you just shake hands an hour in and you say, um, I don't want to keep you here. Go ahead and get home so you can have dinner with your family tonight. You know, it doesn't happen often because if they, if you get them in front of you, number one, you spend so much time just filtering everything about them and watching their film, right? Because no matter what somebody says, if their film doesn't match what they say, it's not worth talking to a person. But that's that's rarely happened. I think there was one interview one time when I was at the, I won't even say where to just, you know, keep confidentiality where, you know, a guy came in and we're there for 30 seconds and picks his feet up on the table and it's like he didn't even know what we were what mascot we were he's like well what are you guys lions what are you like you know like some type of uh tiger i'm like oh this ain't gonna go well <laughs> <laughs> what's good here's what's great so i've heard the rumor before like i've heard that rumor and i wanted to see if i could draw it out of you now that we have it confirmed i know all the names i'm not gonna share them on air i know the rest of the story it is beautiful that that just got confirmed look I appreciate you joining us. One more question here. So we are about, what, a month away from spring ball. You've gotten in there. It's like drinking from a fire hose, I know. But you've looked over that roster, at least with a cursory glance. What do we think about what we're inheriting? What will spring look like? Like when we, when we finally hit the ground running, what are the first orders of business? 
Well, I think it's been taking place right now. First order of business is, again, first and foremost, discipline, accountability, strength and conditioning. Our strength staff has been off and running, and they've been doing a phenomenal job. They've challenged our players, and our players have responded really, really well. And we have a very clear understanding that we're going to do things a certain way, and that that's what it takes. And if you're willing to not do it a certain way, you're, well, you're willing to give away an ACC championship and more. So we have that understanding. We're off to a great start. But again, you know, this is a, when your strength and conditioning program is underway, you're going against, you know, your your own conditioning, uh, whistles, tones, lines, right? It doesn't push back like football. But it's a great first step in testing exactly where we are from a physical and mental standpoint as it relates to conditioning and toughness. So really good start so far. There we'll transition into, you know, our um, our skill development, which will take place this week, as well as the fourth quarter program. We got time to install what we'll install. When we go, we, we go, we go fast. So uh, we're, we're, we're pretty much on schedule minus a day or so, and we'll make it up. Miami head coach Mario Cristobal. Now, look, I told you we got this poverty coffee up here. It's coffee in a can. You got the real stuff, the Cuban stuff down there. So I have you on your word. If I send you the address, you're going to take care of us, correct? And I, I mean, I'm watching this, and it's almost sacrilegious to my ancestors <laughs> to be talking about any other form of caffeine like that. So because of that, and because I, I do, I truly care about you know your intake. I know you've got your gallons of water and take care of your body healthy. I'm going to send you the best of the best to make sure you are properly caffeinated to the highest level. All right, let me toast you with this now crushed up caffeine in a can. Sir, we appreciate you joining us. Mario Cristobal, Miami head coach. We will, uh, I'll find any excuse I can to make it down to South Florida this spring. Hope to see you soon. I appreciate you joining us, man. You got it, brother. Thank you, man. There you go, Miami head coach Mario Cristobal. Uh, good stuff there. You know, like I said, we don't do a ton of guests on the show, but if I feel like we have someone who is going to give the entire audience something, for example, like putting a staff together, I don't know that I've ever heard a coach go as in-depth as he just did on what goes into putting a staff together. That stuff fascinates me. I think it fascinates you. And uh, if not, look, it looks like most of you are still tuned in anyway. Uh, my promise, we've got a ton to get to still on the show. The Brian Harson Auburn story, which I'm about to get to, is so multi-layered. And we're going to talk about all of it. I'm going to go back up to Michigan because um, even though Mario Cristobal couldn't talk about it, I can now that he is safely off the air. Josh Gaddis is going to be their new offensive coordinator. And so this is big. It has ramifications down in South Florida, but it has ramifications in Auburn. Uh, all of that plus... I've got an announcement to make. Yeah, well, why don't we do it tomorrow? We'll do it tomorrow. It is about Academy Sports and Outdoors, who uh, has been for the entirety of last season. And spoiler alert, for many, many months to come, our exclusive partner here. We appreciate them so much. Uh, I have as much fun corresponding with them back and forth as I do you guys. They are great partners. And the benefit for me is we don't have to work through like 47 intermediaries. They when they see one of you tweet out a receipt of something you've bought, they just hit me up and say, hey, tell George we said thank you. Hey, tell Mike and Angela we said thank you. So they watch it. Whenever I tag them and whenever you put something out and you tag them, they appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Academy Sports and Outdoors, it, it won't be cold forever, guys. It will be spring eventually. And so just buy everything you were going to buy. Just do it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, you've got the grilling there. It's not just, you know, outdoor equipment. It's not just shirts, although it is that. You would be shocked. If you've never been in an Academy Sports and Outdoors, you would be shocked at everything they have in that place. If you live as simplistic a life as me, literally everything you need in life is there. I didn't know you could see my water on there, Colin. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, you have everything you need in life. So make sure if you cannot get to an Academy Sports and Outdoors in person, academy.com. That is your literal one-stop shop for, like I said, if you're like me, everything in life. But at the very least, everything you could need from your outdoor sporting goods perspective, they've got it. So thank you so much to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, quick thank you to everyone who's tuned in live and everyone who will watch the replay. Just two quick requests. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. We do not have an off season. We will not even say the word out loud. We don't stop. We don't take breaks. We're doing college football the entire year. So if you want that and you want all the other stuff pushed to the side, you come to the right place. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right. Let's talk about this whole Brian Harson situation. 
Brian Harson's future at Auburn, very unclear as we talk tonight live, but Brian Harson or no Brian Harson, the path Auburn football's on is, it's not only uncertain, it's kind of unsustainable, and it's felt this way for a little while. So let's quickly talk about what we know. What we know is there are far more people than not around the Auburn program who do not think Brian Harson will be the head coach there this fall. That's the state of affairs right now. Now, if you have been out of town or if you've been on the beach somewhere and you really haven't been tuned into Twitter or AuburnUndercover.com and you're saying, wait, where did this come from? What evidence is there? Like, what are they using in order to theoretically get rid of him? Well, that's where I want to hit time out for a second. Because there are a lot of things you would be led to believe we know that really we don't know. You know, if you pressed people to provide you the receipts on a lot of the things that they're claiming they know about Brian Harson, that'd be SOL. That'd be up the creek without a legal paddle with which to maneuver. And I'll tell you this too. There are a lot of folks out there with a bright blue check mark next to their name who have run with some of those things that they themselves could not prove if their life depended on it, which is a little disappointing because even if it does turn out to be true, you know, even if Brian Harson is not the head coach at Auburn going forward, I don't know. I've just been disappointed in a few people, but uh, this is not the time to name names. Here is what I do want to do. I want to take you back because to me, the things we know that really matter as it pertains to this current situation at Auburn, we knew before he ever coached a game. What do we know about Brian Harson? What do we know about the Brian Harson situation? Well, we knew as late as early. Let's see. Let me get my timeline right. So you start the season in September. All right, let's go. What do we know about Brian Harson? Well, we knew before he ever coached a game that he was going to be swimming upstream because he was not the preferred choice for a lot of very powerful people around Auburn. Uh, that much has been established. Now, we also know that those powerful people have had motivation to find any fault imaginable in him since he has come to Auburn. We also know that if there are fatal flaws and fatal faults within Brian Harson, it doesn't really matter who finds them. So it's not like I'm necessarily taking a side there. I'm just trying to give you all the facts. What we don't know, though, is also very important. And again, we speak live as of Sunday night, February 6th. Tomorrow morning, all this could change. But what we don't know is the reason I've been very silent on this. I've seen your emails. I have seen your DMs by the hundreds and hundreds. We may even be into the thousands at this point. There's a reason I've been silent on this this week. It's because I understand how poison pills work in the college athletics world. It's different than Wall Street. A poison pill on Wall Street versus a poison pill in the college football world, totally different. A poison pill in the college football world is where you've got a lot of powerful people who can make headlines appear if they really want to, and they, through varying different angles, make sure those headlines get out there. Now, when I say headlines, I don't always mean something on the front page of your Sunday paper. It may be something that you see start trending on Twitter. Uh, it may be something that starts making its way around the message board community. But see, in our world, in the college football world, that might as well be a headline on the front page of a paper. Like the, the front page of a Sunday paper circa 1990 is a high traffic message board thread in 2022. And so those have been circulating about Brian Harson. Uh, there have been rumors that because I can't confirm them, I'm not going to specifically list. It doesn't matter. We all know what I'm talking about. Those have been circulating all week. Now, here's what I can tell you I don't know, whether any of them are true. What I do know, and the reason I have remained silent on this to this point, is because there is an avenue out there. There is a world where if I was a very powerful person who did not want you to have a job and you were the current head coach of my university, I could make all those things pop up, even knowing they're not true. Because here's how the college football poison pill works. Even once they're all disproven, or if they don't stick and they fade away, Here's what I can do next. I can say, well, look, okay, so we didn't prove any of it. But really, haven't we gone too far down this road at this point? Doesn't it feel too negative around here? And you're going to hear this sentence once or a thousand times. At this point, how can we bring him back either way? I've seen that happen before. And so if I even get a slightest whiff that it may be happening around me currently, I don't dive in. All this could end up being true. I'm not in a race to be first on this one. I would much rather hang back and be right, especially when we have multiple people's reputations on the line, including one person who's not even a coach. I, I don't think this person ever really, um, ever really bargained for quite what that person has gotten over the last few days. But what do we actually know? Like, what in terms of perceived evidence that could be used 
to oust Brian Harson do we know? It's not on field because you cannot point to me a one-year on-field product and say that's enough. That's not the way the sport works, even at Auburn. That's not the way it works. You don't get fired for not winning 10 games in year one. You don't get fired for not having the best recruiting class in year one. No one will ever convince me that's the reason this guy's getting fired if he does get fired. Here's what we know. Currently, as of tonight, some disgruntled players exist in the Auburn locker room. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to every locker room in America, including the University of Georgia, where they just won a national championship, including the University of Alabama, where they just played for a national championship. You would be stunned, even around the best programs in America, if at any given point I could take a microphone and inject truth serum into that locker room and get the honest opinions of the entire roster. You'd be stunned at how many disgruntled players there are. You would be stunned at how many players don't think they're being treated empathetically. You would be stunned at how many parents have not been spoken to by the head coach in six months. You'd be stunned. And yet you would never call for anybody's removal because those coaches are getting it done on the field, so no one really cares. My point is, even during the best of times, you don't have angels as coaches, and you don't have angels in the locker room. We've never played this game with angels. And so in lieu of that, what we're trying to find is we're trying to find the best combination of young men in the locker room and guys to lead the program on a coaching roster. But this is a look, and if you're listening on pod, you won't even see this, but that's Lee Hunter. Lee Hunter is one of many Auburn players who uh, have spoken out about this. I'm going to read it really quick. Coach Harson has the true mindset for a winner, but has a terrible mindset as a person. The reason I chose to leave Auburn because we got treated like we weren't good enough and like dogs. As that came out, then there was a flurry of Auburn players, both past and present, who came to Brian Harson's defense. There were some other players, both past and present, who spoke up and said, look, there's some validity. I mean, we don't think he's perfect, but he's handling us the way we deserve to be handled and we need to be handled. Point being, that's what we actually know. See, we have evidence of this. These are screenshots, what we're showing you right now. So we know all this has happened. We don't know if any of the other garbage has happened. We know that this has happened. So far, and I know this is going to shock you, I haven't seen evidence enough to warrant anyone's firing. If and when additional evidence surfaces that puts someone in breach of his contract, per se, then I may change my tune on that. So far, what I have seen here could be nothing more than the byproduct of hard coaching for some guys that didn't have it previously. Okay, anecdotally, I could explain that away as that. If I were representing Brian Harson right now, look, whatever happens here happens. I've never met Brian Harson. Brian Harson's not a friend of the program or anything. But I'm going to tell you a couple of things are in play here that just I've observed from sitting over here on the sideline. One is, of course, a majority of the power structure financially at Auburn has been against the hire of Brian Harson and therefore been against Brian Harson because he was not their choice. And we documented that time and time again when the hire was made. That's not breaking news. This shouldn't surprise you either, but it may surprise you. There is a certain portion of the media apparatus that surrounds this program that are also pushing hard against Brian Harson. And look, again, this may shock you, but I'm going to tell you it's a lot more politically based than it is football based. I don't typically delve into that here, but it's blatantly obvious. There are a lot of folks in the national media too whose po their politics don't align with Brian Harson. I couldn't care less about it but a lot of other people do care about it. And so the bottom line is it's very thin. It's not multi-layered on this front. It's very thin. There's an invisible political layer over this and nothing more than that is the reason some folks are pushing against him. And really behind the scenes, cause I've heard it myself, rooting for him to be fired really has nothing to do with Auburn football. It's why I don't pay that part of the conversation a whole lot of mind. But there are issues here. Okay, Brian Harson even if we were to weigh it out into these waters of trying to defend him, there are clearly some things that have been said, even by players taking his side, that need attention. And there are probably some adjustments he's going to have to make, whether it be in the way he handles players or the way that he recruits and the way that he puts a staff together. Certainly, if he were to keep this job, which seems very unlikely, but if he were to keep this job, there's a lot that has to change there. But like, I've always heard the comparison. Folks around Clemson and Auburn, you guys have probably heard people compare your program. You know, for broad strokes purposes, a lot of folks have always looked at Clemson and they've said, that's Auburn with a lake. Same mascots, same rough market size, um, same, kind of, same kind of encapsulated feel. You know, it's kind of, your rivals would call it a cult. You would call it a family. 
And um, I don't really have a problem with either, to be honest with you. Both of them are good for business. But I don't think that the comparison fits here. I, I think there's a huge difference. Because I don't think Dabo Swinney could ever happen at Auburn. Because I don't think enough people would get out of the way long enough to give that time to grow, to be planted and to germinate. That's the right word. I haven't planted in a long time. I don't think Dabo Swinney could happen at Auburn right now. And that guy went on to win a couple of national championships. Do you really think, especially if he wasn't the choice of certain power brokers at Auburn, do you really think Dabo Swinney would be given time to find his footing at Auburn? I don't. Which leads me to really, you want to talk about problems. The real issue at Auburn here, Brian Harson or not, is how long it takes you to answer the question I'm about to ask. See, when I ask you, who runs Alabama football? You answer Nick Saban just like that. Who runs Georgia football? You answer Kirby Smart just like that. If I were to ask you, who runs Auburn football? I got to go get a drink and just settle back and wait for a dissertation. No one can answer the question. If it takes you more than two seconds to answer the question of who runs your football program, you don't have proper leadership in your football program. And then I want you to think about this. There would be some pushback. Around the Auburn community, there would be some pushback from the big money folks who are demanding to have their say here that, well, look, Josh, they're doing it because they love Auburn. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that whatsoever. But you know, it is possible to love something to death. And that's exactly for a long time what a lot of very powerful people around Auburn athletics have done in exchange for the grip that they demand to have on the program and buy their way into having. It's the beautiful slash hideous side of college athletics. If you got folks who are willing to write checks, you can build a lot of immaculate facilities and you can write a lot of big salary numbers and you can do all sorts of things. But in return, we walk a tightrope because very, very seldom has someone made it to the point in the business world where they have that many figures in their net worth and they're still willing to write checks and ask for nothing in return. That's not the investment that they're interested in. But mm, 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 it's possible. It is very possible to love something to death. In a perfect world, the Auburn job is the toughest job in the country. When you account for the challenge and expectation level, the Auburn job is the toughest one in the country. A&M's a freight train. Alabama's a freight train. Georgia's a freight train. LSU's a freight train. That is a third of your schedule you got to play every year. Auburn's the only program in the country that has to play four of about the top six or seven investors in America. Four or five, really, of the most powerful programs annually in America. They got to play them every year. Even if you have everything in sync and moving in the same direction, it is an, an incredibly hard job. Imagine if you have different forces pulling in different directions, how impossible it is for Brian Harson or anyone else to win at Auburn. That's why I push back a little bit, and it kind of sounds like I'm defending him. I'm defending him generically. Only because I would defend anyone who was put in that position at the program and job I feel to be the hardest in America and was not given full buy-in. Because there's no coach in America that would succeed in that position. None of them. I don't care who you're talking about. And so where we are right now is we keep hitting F5 and we keep refreshing and we keep looking on every single uh, website and you keep waiting for the usual suspects who break stories to break stories. And as of the moment, sounds like Brian Harson's still on vacation. Hey, um, this is like the reverse uh, castaway from Tom Hanks. You know, Tom Hanks is looking to get off the beach. I tell Brian Harson, stay on that beach in Mexico as long as you can. I think we'll have resolution on this very, very soon, one way or the other. It's just, no matter how it ends, it's a shame. I was talking to a coach earlier today, actually talking back and forth with a few of them, who were just curious. You know, have you heard anything on the Auburn situation? Everyone agree. Here's the sad part. If you're an Auburn fan, every coach out there who you talk to, they say a version of the same thing. It's a shame Auburn isn't more than what it is. That's the opinion, the widely held opinion in the coaching community. It's a shame Auburn isn't more than it is because they look at it and they see a diamond in the rough in relation to what other major programs are. And they think what separates Auburn from being one of those other mainstay major programs, perennial contenders, etc., cetera, uh, ironically, is the same financial lifeblood that powers Auburn. So like, what do you do? you unplug Auburn from the financial wall? No, because then it powers down. So now you understand just a little bit about the beautiful nightmare that is being an Auburn football fan and, and a fan of Auburn athletics. Basketball team's doing pretty good. Great gymnastics additions lately, but football drives the bus. And right now, no one has a clue where the bus is going. So we talked to Mario Cristobal at the beginning of the show. And now I wanted to go back, but I wanted to hit it from an entirely different angle. 
Very uncertain time at the University of Michigan, suffice it to say right now. Consider the last 75 days, if you will, for a Michigan fan. I want you to take yourself on this ride. Imagine you beat Ohio State, first time in a long time. We were there for that one. One of the experiences of my life and their lives. Then a week later, they win the Big Ten Championship over Iowa. Then they make the college football playoff, first time in program history. And then things start to go downhill. So Michigan fans, if you want to turn away for a second, they get blasted by Georgia. And then you start hearing rumors about Jim Harbaugh. And then the smoke turns to fire and you find out he's going to interview for the Vikings job. And then it looks for all the world like he's gone. But the only reason that was the case is because he assumed that the interview was a formality. In reality, it wasn't a formality. He doesn't get the job, but you lose McDonald, the defensive coordinator anyway. And now today you wake up and you see the headline, Josh Gaddis is headed to Miami. There was an old Howard Jones song back in the 80s when I was riding over to Sherwood Elementary School. I used to like listening to classic rock and like 80s pop, even though it had been written before I was born. And there was this Howard Jones song that was called No One is to Blame. And as much as everyone wants to blame someone around Michigan right now, could I at least interject the possibility that no one is to blame? And I've got a certain buddy who is of maize and blue descent who shall remain nameless right now because he's been really mouthy today. But um, I think he will, he will be surprised to hear me say this. I've really baited him into thinking I was going to say something else. But look, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things, a lot of things happening around Michigan that aren't good, but it doesn't always mean that someone is to blame. Maybe it's just the way it is. There you go. Howard Jones and Bruce Hornsby, same segment. Jim Harbaugh was not misleading in any shape, form, or fashion with what he did. If it was unethical, if he told you at a podium, I am not interviewing for those NFL jobs, and then boom, wake up one morning, Adam Schefter's reporting he's interviewing for a job, that'd be one thing. He didn't do that. And he even went so far reportedly as to tell his staff, because he thought he was gone, hey, you might want to take the rest of the week and go interview for jobs. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not blaming anyone for that. Here's the problem. Some of his staff did indeed take him up on that, and they did go interview for jobs, so they lost some assistance. He doesn't get the Vikings job, which is a shock to him, and now he's back, and it's like you're being thrown into the middle of a NASCAR race, but you've got to start from zero miles an hour. It feels that way. In reality, it's not always that way, but if I were to fault anyone I'm going to tell you, I think Jim Harbaugh, in retrospect, probably misplayed this a little bit in that I know it's very, very tough and it's very easy to sit here from an armchair quarterback perspective and say this, but here's the reality because it, it happens in my line of work too. When you get to a certain stature, you cannot afford to go interview for jobs. You can't. And if you have to go into a classical interview, sometimes you got to bite the bullet and say, no, thank you. Let's think about what you're risking. If it gets out, which it did with Jim Harbaugh, the news gets out and then you go interview and you find out it's not a formality. You're actually going through a job interview in which there's a very real chance, maybe better than a 50% chance, they could tell you thanks, but no thanks. What do you come back to? Everybody just watched you try and get out. Now, I'm not blaming him. There's no fault here, but what do you come back to? That's the risk. It's a huge risk reward. And the, the greater your stature, then the bigger the risk is if you're walking into a classical interview setting. That's why a lot of times when you get to the interview portion for like a major coach or in our industry, a major on-air talent, it's a formality. It's already happened. And if it isn't a formality, then the interview process is very different from the way that normal folks go about a job interview. You're not showing up there. Someone who represents you is showing up or either there is a lot of action via third party and back channels. It's just, it's not the way Harbaugh went about it. Again, I'm not faulting him, but I am saying that in retrospect, maybe a regret he has, maybe not. I don't know. But here's the issue. Josh Gaddis, now formerly offensive coordinator at Michigan, obviously saw some things during that period he didn't like. I've actually, I did not even send this element, Jesse, but Josh Gaddis, who took the Miami job and it was announced today, he sent a text to his players. I'm going to read it to you. He said, fellas, it's with a broken heart I write this. I'm resigning my position here at Michigan to go to another university. I've given everything I have to you guys at Michigan. I sacrificed so much personally. Uh, unfortunately, the past few weeks have told me a different story, pay attention here, about the very little appreciation I have here from the administration. In life, I would never advise anyone to be where they are not wanted 
and I owe that to my family and my integrity to hold myself to this standard. Okay, so here's what I got from that, and I think a lot of people would concur with this. He found out he was not going to be the head coach at Michigan. That's what I took from that. Because I think Michigan was well down the road of not only vetting candidates, but they were getting their ducks in a row, and they probably knew the route they were going to go if Jim Harbaugh got the job in Minnesota. And I think from what Josh Gaddis is telling you there, I think he found out it wasn't him. And that could, there could be other possibilities. That's why I'm telling you it's my opinion. But my opinion, based on reading that, I interpreted it as he found out he wasn't nearly as high on the pecking order as he thought. I do not think that it's a shot at Jim Harbaugh. I do not perceive that at all to be a shot at anything related to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Josh Gaddis, I've watched him break down and borderline cry before when he's talked about the opportunity Gaddis gave him. Remember, Harbaugh didn't come to Alabama and take offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis to Ann Arbor. He took wide receivers coach Josh Gaddis. Gaddis had not had his shot on the big stage as a coordinator. That man, Jim Harbaugh, gave it to him. So I don't think the lack of appreciation, at least from Gaddis's point of view, is from Harbaugh. That's why I think he made specific mention of the administration there. Again, is there fault? Are we blaming anyone? Not necessarily. I think you could ask the question, if Jim Harbaugh hadn't gone and interviewed for the job, would Josh Gaddis have ever found this out? Would he be of this opinion? That's, that's a game that you can play elsewhere. I mean, it's not really, doesn't really have much point to be played here now. But the big takeaway here as we move on, there is a lot to be done here. It's going to be one of the bigger challenges of Jim Harbaugh's career. Ironically, coming off an Ohio State win and a Big Ten championship, I think one of the biggest challenges he's had yet awaits him because I'm going to tell you what the perception is. For those of you outside the Big Ten, here's the perception. The perception, especially in places like Columbus, Ohio, the perception is Jim Harbaugh said a lot of things. His mouth wrote a lot of checks that he didn't think he was going to need to be around to cash. You know, talking about being born on third base, thinking you hit a triple, all that stuff. Well, they heard it. Now, look, I got no problem with it. You guys know I don't ever have a problem with it. But now, what could be a problem is Jim Harbaugh's got a job he didn't think he was going to have, and that's the Michigan job. And he's doing it without some big-time talent that's leaving for the NFL draft, and he's doing it without either coordinator. The reason why I'm not saying it's some disaster, and I'm not saying, oh my goodness, what's Michigan going to do? He hasn't made replacement hires yet. I was our buddy Dave Bartu today. He was talking about the different ways Jim Harbaugh could go with this, and it wouldn't be the first time if Harbaugh is able to pull off a couple of grand slam hires. It wouldn't be the first time that we've thought a staff had been sold down the river and we were selling stock on them. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, you're looking around saying, wait, did they actually upgrade? Now, most of the time it's Nick Saban doing that. But let's just wait and see. Let's wait and fill out the report card until actual replacements are made. Uh, but here's the other thing. And this is where I think you can breathe a little sigh of relief if you're a Michigan fan. The biggest risk, given the current set of circumstances, in other words, he doesn't get the NFL job and he's back now. The biggest risk you were running as a Michigan fan is having Dan Mullen 2.0 thrust in your lap. A guy who has his eyes locked on the NFL and it doesn't work out for him and he's plopped back in the same spot he had last year and he has no interest in being there. That was Dan Mullen this past year. That's why Dan Mullen will not be at Florida this year and moving forward. I do not think that's something you have to worry about with Jim Harbaugh. Might he interview for another NFL job down the road? Sure, he might. But as long as he is at the University of Michigan, he'll be 100% dialed in at the University of Michigan. I don't think the attachment that he has to that place would allow him to be anything other than all in at Michigan. So my biggest fear would be, boy, if a guy tries to leap and he can't jump far enough and he has to come back, start over at square one, maybe he just never, maybe his feet are never there again fully. I don't worry about that with Jim Harbaugh, but it's, it's going to be a tall order. If it's a rebuild year, so be it. Maybe it's a rebuild year. First thing you got to do is shut off that transfer portal and make sure half your talent doesn't follow Josh Gaddis to Miami. And the second thing you need to do, you got to make some hires. And then the third thing you need to do is get in spring and hopefully some other big stories happen around college football and everyone forgets all about this. But uh, yeah, uncertain times at Michigan. Think about how much worse it would be if it were uncertain and you didn't have the Ohio State replay to go watch and you didn't have the Iowa replay to go watch. So that will comfort you, if nothing more. Yeah, a lot going on uh, elsewhere. And so uh, some of you have asked a question about something that we had happen last week. If you were watching the early signing day show, you saw that we had Nick Saban on. He was delightful. You saw that we had Jimbo Fisher on, and he looked like he was getting ready for a Van Halen concert. 
guy was out of his mind. He was mad. He had some things to say. But before we get to that, Colin, please get me ready for it, sir. The NIL era has begun. I like this one. It fit me well, but that ain't who I want to go. Boomer sooner for the nation's top quarterback. What if this whole NIL era does far more to police self-behavior correction than coaches ever could? Think about what we have now. For the first time, we have players with actual skin in the game. Players should decide where he's going to go to school based on where he can develop best personally, academically, and athletically from a program standpoint. And it shouldn't be about money. I ain't going to go there. I'm going back home, baby. <laughs> when you've got money involved and you start getting into someone's pile of money, that's when you got their attention. I think people really say it this way, but let's not make a mistake. I mean, we have free agency in college football. We worry about the kids and social media and internet. How about grown-ups? How about the guys that are supposed to be setting an example? How about writers who are supposed to be writing the right thing? How about coaches who are supposed to be doing the right thing? And I'll tell you what, I know how some of those guys recruit too. I think if we use this to entice players to pick a school, uh, I don't think that's a great thing. It's funny. When Nick Saban said it, his quarterback got an $800,000 deal, it was wonderful. Now it ain't wonderful no more, huh? But ours, ain't, ours, we ain't got that. Ours are on record what comes up. We ain't doing all them big deals. Ain't none on our place we know of. That's funny when you do it. It could be that people value money even more than playing time. The kids a lot of times go to where they're going to get paid the most. So no one else is saying that maybe, but, you know, if the kids say, this is what I'm getting here for NIL. The hypocrisy is a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it's insulting to, uh, to our staff, how hard we work, how we do things. It's insulting to Texas A&M because there ain't a better place to go to school and play ball. We don't like it. We're coming on. Get used to it. I remember the Houston Astrodome in April of 2001, WrestleMania 17, best WrestleMania they ever had. It was Rock versus Austin for the title. Before that, they ran what I think is the best hype promo in the history of world wrestling entertainment. And basically what I'm trying to tell you is that is our version of that pre-match promo. That was brilliantly done. That's why we do not have production assistants. We have production executives here on Late Kick. Last week, first I want to read you the question. Okay, let me tee it up properly so Colin can cut the video. So a question from Zach here. He said, what were your personal thoughts on the interview you guys did with Jimbo Fisher on National Signing Day? Well, Zachary, I'm glad you asked because I have plenty of thoughts. So those of you who missed it last week, we're on National Signing Day we started at 9 in the morning. We're all the way at like 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon. So we've been on several hours. Several cans of caffeine have been consumed. And we get Jimbo and we get Nick Saban back to back. And so we got Jimbo Fisher first. And we got a little ways in there. And let me tell you guys, there's a lot going on behind the scenes on those shows. So you have the SID, the Sports Information Director. You're in constant communication in the control room. The control room is then in your ear in this little earpiece here called an IFB. And so... Much as producer Jesse's talking to me right now, I got Trey Scott and I got Tully and the folks down there in Fort Lauderdale doing a great job, and they're in my ear, and they're letting me know how much time Jimbo Fisher has. So I find out we got about minute, minute change left. So I figure I'm going to ask him a generic NIL question, and he can go wherever he wants to with it. So I just asked, what do you think about NIL, and how did you guys use it for this signing class? And he said it didn't affect recruiting at all. Now, I don't believe that to be true, nor does Jimbo Fisher need for it to be. And so, to me, like, there's nothing illegal about it. I'd own it. I mean, it's, it's nonsense to suggest that NIL had nothing to do with it. Now, here's what also is nonsense on the other side. And this is what my buddies over at Gigum 24-7 and, and Texags, what they would say. They would say, okay, well, are you saying that Texas A&M disproportionately um, accelerated recruiting using this when everyone else could have used it too? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I didn't say anything, period. Uh, but Jimbo took it and ran with it. Now, he wasn't directing his ire at us. I just happened to ask the question. But boy, he got into sliced bread, literally. And he got into a lot of the headlines that have been out there about an X and Y dollar figure that had been used by Texas A&M to attract this recruiting class. Look, it's obvious they took recruiting up a notch or three notches. This cycle, um, I, listen, I, I opened my email inbox, and here's why I'll take you behind the scenes a little bit. I opened my email inbox after the show, and I'm going on various message boards after the show in our network, and I saw some notifications, and I saw some emails. And some of you had reached out, and you asked in varying degrees of colorful language why I didn't push him. 
which would have been the most ignorant thing I could have done. I'm going to tell you first off, because there's a different standard when you're on a very, very big platform with a company like CBS and you are interviewing a very high profile subject. And what I mean by that is if you don't have facts in front of you, it's best to keep your mouth shut. I didn't have facts in front of me. You can go post what you want to on a message board. You know, you can say what you want to in this chat right now to varying degrees at least. I can't just spout it off to him. I can't say, coach, I heard this rumor and that rumor. Cause you know what he can do and checkmate me and possibly take legal action against my company if he really wants to. What he can say is, could you provide me those details? Could you provide me that evidence? You know, cause you just talked about my name and my university's name and you just said something that you can't prove. There are laws against that. Yeah, there are. And he may not press charges, but there are laws against that. And so uh, it would have been very, very ignorant for me to do that. Secondly, how about this? How about I also had folks in my ear saying, this is it, this is a wrap, this is a wrap. And we blew straight through that. I did ask him a follow-up question. So we really went way beyond the time that we had allotted. Now, he wasn't dying to get up, as you saw. But the exchange, the back and forth, it started to go in a direction that I was very surprised by. I didn't know that he had all that teed up. It was so obvious that he had been waiting for signing day and then he was ready to tee off. He even said in our interview, you wait till I get to my press conference today. When I get to our press conference today, I'm going to get into this a lot more. That's why he put in, he had the reading glasses on and off, on and off during the press conference. Uh, look, I got no problem with Jumbo Fish. In fact, afterwards, you know, we talked to A&M. They said, good stuff. Great job. So th there was nothing between anyone here and Jimbo Fisher. There was no ill will there at all. Uh, I did think that it was a little curious that he said this didn't impact recruiting at all. I think it did impact recruiting. Uh, but at the same time, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, what I would say is everyone could have played by this game. There are certain state laws that prevented some universities from playing it like other universities did, and that's not A&M's fault. A&M, as best you can tell, I didn't have any of you provide me any definitive evidence, as best I could tell, with the information in front of me, they just played the game the way they could play it. And they signed the best class in the history of organized recruiting rankings in the process. But I had fun with it. Like, I was glad it happened. Number one, because we got a head start on the rest of the nation because he didn't have his press conference for another 30 minutes. Uh, number two, because I told him, even afterwards, I don't even care if I agree with what someone says. If a coach, like, like Mario Cristobal did earlier in the show, if a coach is willing to come on air with you, and he's willing to really spill his soul, tell you exactly what he thinks, and there's, there's no filter on it, you don't get that very often. I mean, there are entire departments within universities that are specifically created to make sure coaches don't ever say anything. Make sure players don't say anything, make sure coaches don't say anything. So when one's willing to be open and raw and honest with you, I said when we wrapped up the interview, I appreciate you for saying what a lot of people in your profession would never say. And that's just, how you honestly feel. And I knew at that point, you throw it out there, you let the public think what they think about it. I don't need to tell you what you think about it. It's the entire reason you tune in. I mean, you're not five years old. So some of you loved it, some of you hated it, some of you thought he was lying, some of you thought he was telling the truth. There are always shades of gray where I think he's the most aggravated, and I totally get this. In this vein, I would probably be just like him. He says it had nothing to do with recruiting. I don't buy that. But here's also what he knows. He knows that he has put together a staff out there that's really good and, and they killed it out there and they hit the pavement like they've probably never hit it before. And he feels like when people just throw out a dollar figure that may very well be false, but when people throw out that claim in general, they're discounting the work they've done. And that would aggravate me too. So I understood it from all sides. I understand people who call BS on him when he says there's nothing about this that impacted recruiting. I totally get how he'd be irate when people just dismiss a record-setting class as, well, yeah, but they bought it. Well, no, that's not the way it works. That's, that's not exactly the way it works. So I credit Texas A&M, and I think that you'll see a lot of adjustments made from a lot of different angles because of the way this recruiting cycle in general played out. But what you can't do is you can't take that away from them. So um, the other thing that I want to do before we wrap up here is I want to thank you because we are sitting here on uh, February 6th, I mean, we're an hour into a show, and I have promised you, if you guys don't go anywhere, which you have not, our numbers are 330% year over year higher than they were this time last year. You guys haven't gone anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So there's a reason we call it no season. We're not going anywhere because you have demanded it. It's a very different dynamic 
I'm not going to bore you with numbers, but when we look at our audience and then we cross compare it to other comparable shows and podcasts out there, our audience is staying and theirs aren't because other folks out there apparently want an off season. We don't. And so we don't recognize it. And the reason I can do that is because you cooperate. So thank you so much. Um, make sure, you know, it's free. Make sure you're sharing the show so we can keep it free. That's about all we got. Uh, we will be back here same time for Late Kick Live Thursday night. The Late Kick Extra podcast is back in its normal Wednesday time this week. Make sure you start getting those questions in. We're going to be here. I think we're going to record that Tuesday. But we've started to do some video off of that. Not because I want to, but because you've asked for it. So. Uh, and make sure, since we don't do three live shows a week, I gotta get all the housekeeping. That's about it. Make sure you're following on the stuff. If I forget anything, that's where you'll see at Late Kick Josh. So for our entire team here, appreciate Mario Cristobal joining us tonight. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our production executives who had a lot of work today and not a lot of time to get it done. I'm Josh Pate. You know what? Let's thank you. You guys take care. Have a great early start to your week. And God bless you.